Thank you, Kenny, for that. Um, we've been in a series in the book of Proverbs, and um, we've been looking at what does it mean to live um, a life full of wisdom, yeah? And how does that wisdom, who God is, what He's done, affect our everyday life? We know that following Jesus is not something that we just merely remember. It's something to do with our, our mind or some beliefs that we tick off or some actions that we follow. But, but really, it is meeting the living Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the wisdom of God. There's no wisdom that we will get that will last that doesn't come from Jesus. And doesn't come from Jesus living in us through His Spirit. And that's what He does. When He saves us and rescues us, he gives us a whole new perspective on what life is about. And we hear that story about the Ethiopian lady there. And here's someone who's got the wisdom of God. It is better to go out <laughs> from, the, from the comfort of home to be with others who don't know Jesus so they might come to know Jesus than it is to go home and watch TV. That is wisdom in action. That's Jesus at work in us and through us. And it's capturing... The Father's heart, isn't it? He's, Jesus was compelled to go onto the cross for us. And so now, because we are receivers of that grace, we're compelled by that grace to go out. And so there's a life that leads to life, and there's a life that leads to death. Now, I want to say that there is a life in Christ that leads to life that if we don't continue to live it, will lead to a death, not the death as in separation completely from God, but a, a, a cutting off from all the benefits of knowing him and all the joys of serving him. It will lead to a kind of knowing God, being saved by him, but escaping through the flames, as the Bible describes it. I don't want that for any of us. God doesn't want that for any of us. He wants to mobilize us, use us for a cause that is worth living for, and worth dying for. So many of us settle for a, a cause that's worth being saved for <laughs> and don't, mere, don't get to enjoy the benefit of being under his care completely. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's like the, the future's done, but the present reality that we're experiencing is one where we're not enjoying what Christ has got for us. So there's a life that leads to life, and there's life, uh, a life that leads to death. And that's as we live the way in which God intended us to live, the way in which God wants us to live. And it's for our benefit. Let's remember that. It's for our flourishment. God knows all things. He knows you. He knows your heart. He knows humanity. He knows what's happened in a history past and what happened in history present. And he's planned a way in which you will flourish. But you've got to believe him. Yeah? If you don't believe him, you don't trust him, you won't do anything about it. We always live out the things that we believe. The things that we believe in our mind, that we care for or are precious to in our hearts, will come out in our behavior. Yeah? You want to know what you believe? Look how you act. That is what you actually believe, functionally. So there is a difference between believing with our heads and believing with our, our heads and our hearts. Yeah? God wants to change your heart. That's why he gave us his, your spirit. 
in you to change the way. We're told that he will write, he, when, when the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us, he will write his law on our hearts. What does that mean? He won't need to teach us what to do. We will know what to do because it's in us. Now, there's a battle that goes between the flesh and the spirit that is the reality of our everyday life as Christians, isn't it? That he's written in our hearts, but our flesh is still saying, ignore it, ignore it, ignore it. The foolish man ignores it, and the wise man or woman listens to it. Proverbs is full of sayings that are helpful. And as I finish off this series, this is the last one in the series before we move on to an Advent, uh, looking at Advent. I'm actually not going to preach from Proverbs, though I'm going to sum up Proverbs by talking about hospitality. Because to me, hospitality is like the summary of the life that he wants us to live. You know, we want to be good friends, good parents, yeah? Wants us to um, be involved in caring for others. What do we call that? We call that hospitality. So Proverbs is a life of hospitality, a life that's lived holy for him. But our culture has lost the art of hospitality, has it not? The only hospitality you get is what you pay for, it seems. And sometimes that's not even that great, yeah? We've got budget hospitality, if there is such a thing as budget hospitality. You can go now to a hotel, um, go in, put your card into a machine, your key drops out, you go to your room, you put it back in, it checks you out, you're gone, you've never met anybody. You haven't really received any welcome of any sort from anybody apart from a machine that gave you what you needed to get to. It's like a functional. But, uh, but some of that sort of lack of hospitality comes from the way in which we compartmentalize our lives, isn't it? A culture that says, well, this is my work box, this is my family box, this is my leisure box, this is my friend box. Well, we have several friend boxes that we put people into. And, you know, we pursue pleasure and fulfillment in each of those boxes. And so therefore, we, we don't show the, so, and live the sort of life that God wants us to live where we're caring for other people because, of, well, you know, I've done, I've done my church box. I went on Sunday and I gave some cash. Job done. I might even serve if I'm super spiritual. Job done. That's, that's me. That's my life of hospitality there. That's my life of giving to other people. And so, Often our, the way in which we live our lives stops us from being hospitable people. And it's fair to say that this reality is not just in the world, but it's in the church. Yeah? It's in the church. And if we've known anything of hospitality, it may be that we, we put fellowship and hospitality as the same thing. Yeah? So caring for one another is hospitality. No, it's not. It's fellowship. It may well be part of hospitality, but when we get to the root of what hospitality really means, we're going to realize that it isn't just loving people that we like or like us or who we would like to like us. Hospitality is much more than that. this. It's a, it's a loving of strangers. Yeah? And so important is this to God that as he inspires Paul to write some of the letters, he has it as one of the characteristics of an elder. So someone who's supposed to take a servant leadership within the body, one of the characteristics 
is they must show hospitality. 1 Timothy 3 verse 2 says this. Therefore, an overseer, which is like an elder or is an elder, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. So God is writing this through Paul, telling the church that those who are to take servant leadership in the church, they're to be hospitable people. It's close to God's heart. But not, all, not only is it just for elders, but later on when he talks in 1 Peter 5, verse 3, he tells us that those elders are not to be domineering over your charges, but to be examples to the flock. So, here we have it. Elders, you're supposed to be hospitable. Why? So that you might be an example to the flock, so that they might be hospitable. So, it's not something that we're gifted in, or not gifted in. This is something that God wants every one of us to do. Now, some of us might find it easier. Some of us might find it slightly more harder to live that sort of life of being hospitable. But the... um, The call is to all of us. God wants every single one of us to be hospitable. And you see, when God starts to work in a community, hospitality is what we see. If you want to read Acts 2, Acts 4, you're going to see the church becoming hospitable, welcoming people, caring for people. And in fact, when we look at the first example of somebody saying, look, something's not happening that's not right in our body, hospitality isn't happening. The widows come to the elders and say, hey, some other people are getting uh, hospitality, but we're not getting hospitality. People are choosing to give it to some people and not to others. And what do the elders do? They say, let's appoint people among us who will make sure hospitality takes place. That the widows and the orphans will get fed. We must do that. It's important. It was that important that they got the cream of the crop. He said, right, all right, you guys, you know people amongst you. You pick seven people amongst you, and you, you, know, you bring your names to us who are men who are above reproach, who can be deacons, who can show hospitality to people. Hospitality is close to God's heart. It is the life that God wants us to live. It is the wise life. The foolish life is to keep everything to ourselves, to orientate our lives around what we want and um, what we want to do and how we want that to happen. But the giving life, the life-giving life, is a life of hospitality that welcomes in the strangers. Let's see if this works. This will be no good for the recording then. (laughs) So what is hospitality? It is loving the outsider, the stranger. That's what it means to be hospitable to those who are on the outside and not on the inside. And if we want to think about it in terms of gospel hospitality and sort of the purpose of why God wants us to be hospitable, we would say this hospitality is loving the outsider as if they were an insider so they might become an insider. Yeah? That's the purpose and thrust of us living the life that God wants us to live. There are people who are on the outside of communities. And we want to welcome them in with a welcome that we would give to one another, the welcome that we ourselves would want to receive, so they might see that there's something different about us, that we ourselves have received the welcome of Jesus, the hospitality of Jesus, and they might say, I want that hospitality. 
I want that. I want something that's going to last. You see, the hospitality that we give is temporary and, um, uh, and, you know, it doesn't last. But the hospitality that Jesus gives us lasts forever. And when I'm talking about hospitality, I'm not talking about food primarily, though it might include food. The Bible will find out it does include food. But it's a welcome. It's a welcome in and, and, you know, putting our arms around one another and saying, you are my brother, you are my sister. Come, everything that I have is at your disposal. This is the way in which in the Near East culture where Jesus is in, people would have seen it. You bring people in, you give them the best. You welcome them in and you say, everything I have is yours. I will treat you like myself. Everything's mine, so everything's now yours. You come and you sit at the table, or you come and we um, uh, welcome people into this space, into this building, into this cafe, into our workplaces. There's a way of doing hospitality that just permeates every area of our lives. But if we do it well, people will see the wise life, the life lived for Christ and for his glory. So, and, that, sorry, and, and this hospitality, it's sacrificial and costly. It's sacrificial and costly. There is no hospitality that isn't sacrificial and costly. If, if it wasn't costly, you didn't really show the hospitality. Do you know what I'm saying? It's going to cost you something. Maybe it's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you money. I don't really look at the budget that we have for food, but I'm pretty sure that if we'd never invited people around our house, we could probably cut it at least by half. Yeah? It's going to cost you money, but it's going to cost you time. It's also going to cost you space and comfort. This is the reality of the glorious life that God wants us to live, that in the midst of doing those costly, sacrificial things, God is working in us. God is <laughs> changing us. God is helping us to receive the hospitality, to remember the hospitality that Jesus has given to us. So he calls us to this glorious life it's a life that, that is wise. And our flesh won't like it. Our flesh does not like to be hospitable. Our flesh likes to receive hospitality. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you for the cake. Uh, thank you for the biscuits, Ben. You know? But I don't want to spend the time making the biscuits. No, thank you. I want to spend time eating the biscuits. Yeah? Now, some of you here will be saying, but I like making the biscuits. Great. Brilliant. You might not want to eat the biscuits. But sometimes you've got to eat the biscuits that people give you, even though you think, I don't want to eat those biscuits. <laughs> They're no good for me, because you've got to receive hospitality as well. I just want to say, so the, so the kind of three things, I'm leading into the first one here, which is this. Hospitality is a gospel issue. Yeah? Hospitality, if you make, taking notes, hospitality is a gospel issue. Genesis 1 and 2 tells us that God is an hospitable God. Yeah, He creates an environment for humans to live and prosper in such a way that they will have everything provided for them. If we read Genesis 1 and 2, we're going to see God takes care to make sure the grass will grow, food will grow, that they'll have provision, they'll have shelter, they'll have warmth, they'll have security, that they will have a home. And it's an important word, and uh, that, that's an important word in terms of what we're talking about. Making a home for people. 
when it isn't their home. God made a home for his people. He made a home for humanity where they would, would, would prosper. He showed hospitality to us. Oh, moving on here. God, uh, God is the author and the initiator of this hospitality. He paid this perfect place. But in Genesis 3, we see humanity who are in this place of hospitality move from hosp- hospitality to hostility. Yeah? And it starts with a lie from Satan. Satan basically says or questions God's hospitality. He's not giving you the best. There's something else that God's keeping back from you. And you know that, that tree where he said, don't eat? That's the best fruit. <laughs> that's, that's where the knowledge is going to be. Well, that's where you're going to prosper if you eat that fruit. So Satan questions God's hospitality. And from with one bite, they move from being this place of safety, of care, and of home, of relationship with people being known by God and knowing God. And in one bite, they move to hostility. Hostility with God. Their relationship is broken. They're no longer allowed to live in that place of hospitality. They move from a union to division. They are the insiders with God, and they're moved to outsiders. He says, you've got to leave the garden now. You can't be in the place where I dwell because you didn't trust me. You didn't trust my hospitality. You didn't care that, or believe me that what I said was to be true. But not only is there hostility with God, but there's hostility with each other and creation. And they start to blame one another. They had this kind of mutual relationship where they cared and loved one another, and then they, uh, all of a sudden they're saying, well, it was not my fault, it was their fault. Oh, it's not their fault, it's, th- it's their fault. And we're told that one will want to rule over the other in unhelpful ways. One with dominance, uh, one without submission. And not only that, but the, the creation itself will be in hostility towards them. The man is told, you're going to have to work the ground you know, harder. It's not going to produce what I intended for you because I need you to see that when you, not, when you, when you don't trust me, you've got to, you know, the end product is that you don't have this hospitality. The food doesn't grow for you in the way in which I told you it would. I provided that it would for you. And then hostility with themselves. One moment they were walking around naked without any a care in the world, receiving the hospitality. Yeah, amen, Kenny. You know? Feeling at peace with the world, with themselves, with God. There was no hostility. And then all of a sudden, they are ashamed of themselves. Not just ashamed of their body, but ashamed of who they are and what they have done. And they start to have an hostility towards one another. A self-loathing, a hating of themselves. That's what sin does. That's, that's what the environment of hostility is like. Completely the opposite of the hostility, the, um, the environment of hospitality. Where people are welcomed in. They're taken care of as an outsider brought in with a place of security, a place of hope, a place of peace, a place of provision. So you can see why hospitality is a gospel issue. God desires people to receive the hospitality that he has given to, her, to them. 
And yet the reality is we live in a world. And if we were then to track from this biblical story through, we're going to see that the rest of the plan of salvation, when we read the narrative, is God creating a hospitable people so that other people might know his hospitality. First through Abraham, yeah, Abraham, and then secondly through Jesus, through the nation of Israel. If we, if we read anything about the, the nation of Israel, what we realize is they're not chosen because they're good people. Abraham was a pagan. He knew nothing of God. God met him and called him out and said, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you a blessing to all the other nations. What was that blessing? It was going to be a blessing of hospitality. What I'm going to do to you, I want to do through you. You're going to be a nation that's going to bless other people. They're going to see what you're like. And if you read through all the laws, um, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, um, and um, what, what you would find is that God is setting up a culture of hospitality where the outsider gets treated like an insider. He's going to say, you're going to be my people because I've saved you and rescued you. You're going to live in such a way that other will, people will see what I'm like. And of course, they do that imperfectly. And it's interesting, as you see this nation of Israel, God not only gives them the experience of receiving his hospitality, as in that they were in hostility in Egypt, and he rescues them out and gives them a home, a place to be, a place to rest, a place of provision, but also that they did experience that hostility. So they would knew, know what it would be like to be the outsiders. Again, I don't know if you remember the, the story of Joseph, but when Joseph goes down there, Pharaoh, uh, the, the ruler of Egypt, gave them hospitality. He said, yeah, here's the best land. Yeah? You take the whole of your family, I'm going to give you the best land. You, you, you've, you've worked for our for our country and for our nation's prosperity, I'm going to give you and your family the best land over there. You enjoy it. But when that pharaoh died, the next pharaoh came along, and again, they moved from hospitality, here's the best land, into slavery, into hostility. You know, pharaoh started to make them work for him and put them under such a yoke of oppression that they cried out to God. And so this promise to Abraham, I will make, I'll, you know, I'll make you a great nation. I will give you a place where you will rest. You will be a great people under my care. They're thinking, where, where is this God? And they cry out to God. Give us hospitality. Give us a land. Give us peace. Give us hope. And it says that their cries were heard by God. And he sends Moses to go and to rescue them, to be their rescuer. To take them from that place of hostility. So ingrained in this people of Israel is this idea. We have received the hospitality of God. God has rescued us from this place and he's given us a wonderful land. And he says, you know, now I've done that to you. Now I want you to do that to other people. Do not forget, I am the Lord your God, what I did for you in Egypt. And of course, they do some of it and they don't do others of it. My point is this, we could describe the gospel as God giving his hospitality to people, taking them from that place of hostility and bringing them into his home, into his place of rest. That's how significant the way in which we live our lives is, because we are mirroring and acting out the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ is that you did not have a home and you were aliens 
Yeah, and you were foreigners and you were even enemies of God, but now I will call you friends and family. I'll take you from the outsider place to bring you to the insider place. The place where I will take care of you. That is the gospel. So when we think about how we live our lives, that's what we've got to have in mind. How do we live our lives in such a way that people who are on the outside will receive an insider's welcome and will desire to be an insider? I'm sure if we were to listen to many of the testimonies of people that have come to know Jesus in this fellowship, even though they may have not been able to put that into their words, that's what they received. They started to taste and see the Lord is good as people cared for them and loved for them and befriended them and did things to help them and encourage them and just gave them friendship, even though they, they may not be the sort of people that you would normally associate with one another. And that's how the gospel is seen. It's seen through the way in which we, we live. So it's a gospel issue. So what does that mean? And this is the second thing for us. It means we need to leave margin in our lives for others. If you want to look, at, turn your Bible, you can read on the screen. Um, here's a passage. That's just a reminder of time. Um, um, but here's a passage where God is talking to the nation of Israel saying this is how I want you to live and it says this in uh, Leviticus 19, 9-10 you, when you reap the harvest of your land you shall not reap your field right up to its edge Neither shall you gather and glean after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you uh, gather the fallen grapes of the vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor, for the sojourner, for I am the Lord your God. I just want to just pull out this saying at the end, for I am the Lord your God. You see, when God says that, or it's written down, it's like saying, for I am your God, this is who I am. You do this because this is who I am. Don't do this because I tell you to do it because this is the way that I am. I've done this to you, therefore I want you to do this to others. He says, don't go around the edge of your fields in a second time or a third time to make sure you get the most. When you go around it, leave a portion on the outside so that the person who is a sojourner, who is an alien, who is a foreigner, who has no other means of supporting themselves, will be able to go around your field and provide for themselves. You're going to treat them as if they're an outsider. Well, those outsiders were insiders. You're going to let them have some of your, your provisions. The same with the vineyard. Do the same. Why? Because I am the Lord your God. This is who I am. This is, this is what I do. I welcome outsiders in. And so therefore, you who are now my people who received my grace, now you are going to live out because you're my people. You're in my family likeness. You're going to do the same. He carries on in chapter 19, verses 35 and th 33 and 34. It says, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You shall love him as yourself. For you were once strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. 
I'm the Lord your God. This is how I treated you. You were strangers in the land of Egypt, and I brought you out to a place of safety and a new home in the promised land. I am the Lord your God. Hospitality is gloriously costly. You treat people like they're the native. You treat people like, uh, like yourself. The way in which, not just the way you'd want to be treated, but the way you have been treated by God. And it's a challenge. Yeah? It means daily, the daily reality of dealing with interruptions. I don't know about you, but I'm a sort of person who um, is, orga- you know, well, say some, some way organized, but I'm, I'm focused, <laughs> you know? And I'm there working away, and, and I'm like, I don't want to be interrupted because I need to get the job done that I'm going to do. And so the interruptions are hard things to deal with. I don't want to respond uh, or struggle sometimes to respond to them. Being hospitable means being interrupted in the things you're doing, yeah? And welcoming people in. You might not be able to give all your time to people, but you can give a smile and you can give a welcome, can't you? As the minimum thing that you, you can do. It means, and can mean cooking extra food. One of the reasons why we moved our gatherings here to the Sunday morning so we could have people around for food afterwards. That's not just our family, but that was all of us. That was one of the discussions. Shall we do this? Because it will make it easier for us. Yeah? To cook and have food time together. God challenged us in that way. It's costly in that way. It's costly because we have people in our home, in our, in our space. People coming around, messing up our house, putting like toys on the floor, and we just clean that up, man, you know? But that's the reality, yeah? That's the reality of the costly, or the gloriously costly life that hospitality is. I was thinking of Boaz, that he's going to grow up, and I, I thought about this in the idea of raising the bar for our children, or setting the example for our, for our children. Boaz is going to grow up thinking that it is normal that somebody is eating at the table with us every night. Because it is. And it should be. That we welcome people in. We have this abundance in our life. Abundance of food. Abundance, maybe not abundance of time, but abundance. And we need, to, we need people to receive that abundance. But it's costly. If you've been around our house, you'll see that we've got this large table. That she can get larger than what you can see. <laughs> Why? Because we wanted to have people around the table. Yeah? Actually, it t- it's a bit, it's a little bit on the, on, the, on the large side. I think it'd be nicer to have a smaller table to get around a bit more space. It would fit better with the room. But it means that we can have people around and enjoying that. Now, hey, it's not always possible for you to, 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 to do that. That's fine. It's not a criticism. I'm just saying there are things that we do, the way in which we try to live our lives, that we adjust so we can you know, show hospitality to people, yeah? For us, that was something that we could do. For you, it might not be. But there'll be other things that you could do. You know, where you go, where you shop, the way you, where you eat, all those sort of things. Um, but it is costly. I mean, we've been robbed. When we were in Edinburgh, we were robbed, um, for sure. Our house is often more messy than we would desire it to be. Uh, where sometimes there's poo on the carpet that we wish wasn't there, that we've had to clear up. Um, yeah, thank you, Dan, for that. Um, 
But I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, no, but I'm thankful. I'm thankful for every person that's lived with us or spent time with us because it's been helping us. We've been learning. We've been changing. We've been growing. We made a little count, or I made a little count just out of interest for, for us. I counted 25 people that had lived with us for a week from at least one week to over two years. And from like at least one night to a week, 70 people that have been with us. And I'm thankful for every single one of them, you know, because they have enriched our lives. They've enriched our children's lives. Um, and I'm sure if you were to count, I mean, it might be a different way of counting. Not everybody can do the same thing that, that we do, so it's not a criticism. But I'm just saying, it is costly, but it's gloriously costly, yeah? It's, I, I love what the people that have come into our lives because of the hospitality that we have been able to show to other people. We've been modeling broken vessels being welcomed in and made new in our lives. But it's important to think about who we should show this hospitality to. It's so very easy to get into a pattern of having over just the people you like, just the people that are like you, just the people that are easy to have over. Yeah? Well, that is not the gospel. You were never easy to have over for Jesus. It cost him his life. To welcome you to his table, it cost him his life. How willing are we to sacrifice the things that God wants us to bring in? How, how willing are we to go to the places where we're going to find the people who are the fatherless, who are the widows, who are the orphans of this world? Not just physically, but spiritually. There's a physical reality of a life lived without God that's lived out. Yeah, sorry, there's a physical reality that's lived out the, spirit, the spiritual reality, yeah? So there are physical fatherless people, widows and orphans. But then there are spiritual fatherless people, widows and orphans, and God is sending us to them. We think about the refugees in this country. They're without a home. We're to go to them, to help make home for them, to show them a welcome. We might not be able to give them a home in our house, but a welcome that makes them feel at home in this country. There's so many people, it would be hard to describe who God is, um, who's not, doesn't get included in that. But God is challenging us, I believe, to be a people who love the outsiders. He executes justice for the fatherless, is who God is, the widow, and he loves the sojourner. He gives him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were once sojourners in the place, in the, in, in the land of Egypt. We were sojourners. We were outsiders from God, and he's welcomed us in. Now we are to be sent out to those who are on the outside who don't know Jesus who don't have a home, both physically and spiritually. Goodness me. Are we imposters? Jesus has some harsh words to say when he separates the sheep and the goats. This is a hard word to hear. Are we imposters? 
It's what he says to them. Then he, then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you are cursed. Go into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and the angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no, no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then they will say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in the prison and did not minister you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it for me. And those and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into the eternal life. We've got to be careful. We are not imposters. We claim to know the truth, but we're liars because we don't love one another and we don't love lost, the people who are on the outside. I pray that this is not any one of us. I think it's not any one of us. But it's, the challenge is still there for us. Do we say one thing and do another? What are some of the barriers for us? Is there fear about having people in our homes? Is there apathy? That our world is just so focused around our needs that we just forget the needs of others and our hearts are not stirred to it. Do we feel defeated? We've done that before and there's a hurt and there's pain there for us. And we're not sure if we can put ourselves out there again. Do we feel we're too busy to welcome people into our lives? Is there a sense of entitlement? This is my home. I've, I pay for it. This is my food. I own the money. It's my food. Why should I share it with anybody else? Is there laziness? Well, we just much rather go home, switch on the TV, than to have people in our lives. We've got to decide what sort of people we're going to be. Are we going to be a people after God's heart? Are we going to be people who keep the outsider on the outside? Or are we going to be people who keep the outsider, we bring the outsider into the inside? That's our God. That's the one that we follow. He desires us to live this gloriously sacrificial life of hospitality. Well, I just want to say one more quick thing. I know that we're running out of time because I think it's important because there is a difference between being a humanistic do-gooder and a gospel do-gooder. Yeah? I was telling you last week, I went to that conference and it was sad because these people love Jesus, but all it was, or all it sounded like to me, is humanistic do-gooders. And humanistic do-gooders see the end in the good that they do in and of themselves. You know? I gave them some food. My job is done. That is not gospel hospitality. That's humanistic hospitality. Gospel hospitality sees the spiritual reality through the physical reality. Of course we are to good, do good. I pray that God will stir us up to do more and more good. The Bible tells us, do good. Keep on doing good. Let's be motivated to do good. But let's remember that the good that they really need, the home that they really need, the welcome that they really need is in Christ. 
It isn't just in our giving some food and going off. We create a dependence culture when we do that. The church has been good in some quarters at creating dependency. You come to our soup kitchen, fantastic, great. As the saying goes, you know, you can give a man a fish and he'll feed a family for a day, but if you teach him to fish, he'll feed his family for a lifetime. Well, what if the whole community started fishing for fish? Not just teach him, but alongside him. And we fished with them. They shared our fish, and we shared theirs. This is the way in which God wants us to be. This, this beautiful community that's just so welcoming. It doesn't matter where people are coming from. There are some complicated issues in our world that's hard to navigate. The most pressing one is the tra- transgender issue. Yeah? How do we welcome transgenders? Well, easy. You just bring them around your table. And you eat with them. Didn't Jesus eat with the prostitutes and the transgenders of the day? Does that mean accepting them? As in like saying, what you're, the way in which you're living your life is wise? No, we don't believe it's wise. We believe there's a wiser way. But the welcome that Jesus did did not take into account anything of what they were doing. He just welcomed them. Why? So that the outsider may become an insider who might, uh, you know, might be treated like an insider so they might become an insider. There's many people who are undesirable to love in our culture. And our culture doesn't know what to do with them. And on the one hand, they're pushing and grabbing rights. And on the other hand, sometimes the church doesn't know how to love them well. And that's okay that we struggle, as in like, we're learning. What does it mean? But simply, I think it would mean even though they are an outsider, as in they do not know Jesus. They don't know Jesus. We don't, you know, we don't expect them to act like they know Jesus because they don't know Jesus. But we can treat them in a way in which God has treated us so they might see something in us and hear something from us that will change us. Jesus is the better Israel. Where Israel did not do, live that hospitable life, Jesus lived that hospitable life and he desires to change us and transform us. I just want to read this uh, passage and then one more thing to, to finish. But I just want us, I'm going to read it slow and I just want it to sink in. This is from Ephesians 2. It just talks about what Jesus has done for us that will now inspire us to be the sort of people that, that God would want us to be. It says this, Therefore remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. Remember guys, at one time you were outsiders. You were outsiders, called the circumcised, by, by, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated. You were an outsider from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promises, having no hope without God in the world. That's who we once were. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off has been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Jesus' death on the cross, his sacrifice means that we are now drawn to be the insiders. Even though we were far off. For, for he himself is our peace. 
hospitality's goal is rest with God. He is now our peace. We don't want to just find people to find a home with us. That's lovely. Like I say, it's temporary. But hospitality's goal is that people will find a peace and a rest in God that will last forever. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in, in, in audiences that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. God knows there's hostility between man and himself. And he wants to kill that hostility through the cross, through bringing people who don't have a home into his home. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, both the Gentiles and to Israel. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you who are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple into the Lord. In him you also are being built into a dwelling for the place, for dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we're being built into a home, into a house, into a family, so that people might receive that welcome and that hospitality. Our hope is in Christ. We cannot do this just by mere effort, but because Christ has done something to us. The wise life, the life that God wants us to live, is one where we know that we have received this welcome, this rest, this peace in Christ. He's created a home for us, and now we're going to create a home for other people. It's a glorious picture of the kingdom. Yeah? One day, every nation, every tribe, every tongue will come home. They will be under the rule of King Jesus and he will rule perfectly and kindly that once and for all, those people will no longer feel any hostility to one another, to themselves and to God, but they will feel at peace and at home with God. He will be their king and he will, he will rule and reign and provide everything for them. That is what we're, that's what we're hoping for. That's what we're longing for. And so we long for it for others. So they might experience the physical reality, so they might see the spiritual need, and they might, that spiritual need might be met in Christ. Let me finish just by reading this for us. John Piper wrote this. I read this in my devotion this morning. And I think it's lovely as we think on who Christ is. Christ is a more wonderful person than anyone else on earth. He is wiser, stronger, kinder than anyone you can enjoy spending time with. He is endlessly interesting. He knows exactly what to do and what to say at every moment to make his guests as glad as they can be. He overflows in love and with infinite insight into how to use that love to make 
his loved ones feel loved. That's hospitality right there. That's hospitality right there. We give a pale hospitality to people so they might see in Jesus one who knows how to work on behalf so that those he loves might feel loved. That's what God is calling us to do, to be his ambassadors, to be his hands and his feet in this world, so that people who are unloved might feel loved. Those who are disconnected might feel, dis- might feel connected. Those who are homeless might feel like they have a home. Those who are lonely might enjoy relationship. Why? Because Christ did it for us. This is the wise life that Christ has called us to. Whether it be with our children, whether it be with our friends, whether it be our family, maybe it be with strangers, to live this sort of way. There is no other way. If we don't want to live this sort of way, we don't get God. We don't get the gospel. Now we might struggle, that's okay. We can confess that. But if we don't want to, we've got to ask the Lord to break into our hearts. Maybe it's going to become crusty on the outside and soft on the inside like an armadillo. Yeah? We need the crust coming off. I'm going to welcome Nikki just to just play a bit of music and we'll just, I'm going to pray. Um, but I just want you to come to God. What is the, what are the, you know, where are the struggles for you? Is it comfort? Is it cost? Is it time? Is it energy? Is it busyness? Is it, is it like the feeling of we've done that before and it, is, and it was hard? I just want to welcome you to ask God to do the work in you that you'll need to do to do his work. I don't want this to be like a heavy burden because Jesus says my burden is light but his burden is also costly. <laughs> yeah? It's costly. But it's a great life that he's called us to. So maybe we can just have a few moments of just quiet speaking to the Lord saying to him what our worries, what our fears are, what our challenges are, and let him speak right to you right now. He's a God who speaks. He's a God who cares.